Hi, this is April Mazza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is Overdue. Where friends and colleagues, librarians, librarians, and each episode we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice we're giving. Good morning, April. Hi, Christy. How are you? I'm good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Saturday morning. No. And... Oh, it is. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> gonna say it's Sunday. Don't take my days away. I know we've done it on a Sunday before, but tomorrow's Mother's Day, so I didn't want to make you do a podcast on no, your special day. Fine. Special day. <laughs> no, actually, my husband asked my son what they should do, and his answer was, "We should give her coffee in bed." Like, yeah. <laughs> which makes sense because on the weekends I'm the first one up. Mm-hmm. Usually at like seven in the morning. Right. I get up, I make coffee, I walk the dog, yeah. and then I sit in the quiet to read. <laughs> yeah, so you're like, don't bring me coffee in bed. No, I, I, I want to be alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but my son knows it's coffee and quiet. Those are the things that yeah. I like. <laughs> <laughs> I like those too. He's, he's smart. Yeah. Oh, so I wanted to tell you something, and I thought our listeners might like this too. So I was talking to some friends who had just found out we had a podcast because I posted about it for our one year anniversary, <laughs> which is awesome. Like I'm, yes. I'm yeah. thrilled. And I mean, it's kind of a funny thing. Cause it's like, you want people to listen, but you don't want to pressure anyone. I know. I like, feel weird. Yeah. We don't want to be like the MLM of exactly. <laughs> like, listen to me talk. Right. But you know, tr- in trying to explain what it's about, And especially I think because now we do it on our own. I was thinking about how we started and part of it was because of the work that we were doing at the time and how we were trying to connect with people during the pandemic and it was really hard. Also that it was something we wanted to do anyway and it all sort of seemed to come together. But now that I don't work there and we kind of do it on our own time, I was trying to think like why people would want to listen to us. And actually one of our friends came up with this phrase, which I'm sure it's probably like some corporate thing, but I totally liked it. He said media landscape because I was like, we kind of just talk about stuff we like. Like we talk about books and a lot of times TV shows or music. And so I kind of liked that. (laughs) I don't know. It definitely speaks to a big part of what we talk about also on the social issue side too. True. Yeah. But that's part of media a lot as well. You're right. Because absolutely, a lot of times for me, it's what's lacking mm-hmm. <laughs> in media, right? And so yep. it's like really like prominent to us, like when we're not seeing either yeah. diversity or social justice issues. So yeah, like but yeah, I also I... liked it because it it does go along with sort of the library world as well. Yes. Because you know sometimes people are like, oh, it's just about books, but it's, it's really all media yeah. and information. And that's the same with the library; it's more than exactly, just books. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, I thought that was kind of fun. And cool. maybe that will, friends. yeah, maybe we'll get some more people interested in listening. And then also thanks to those who do listen that checked out our Patreon that we talked about mm-hmm. last time and our Ko-Fi Coffee <laughs> page. We do have our first member subscriber and she subscribed at the level for a birthday shout out. And even though it's not her birthday, I'm just going to say thanks, Laura, <laughs> for supporting us. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy early birthday. (laughs) Anyway, I could go on and on, but yeah, we are super appreciative. And all that info is on our website, which you can get to through our Instagram. So maybe that's the best. Which is, this pod is overdue. Our website is podpage.com slash this podcast is overdue with hyphens between each word. So this dash 
podcast dash is dash overdue. I almost forgot. The <laughs> yeah, words. no, that's the part that's tricky. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should work on our Google algorithm. But anyway, let's talk about books. Sure, you sure. Go first. Sure. When you had, you'd said over text that you were thinking about what to talk about on this episode, and I realized I was like, oh, I hadn't picked a book yet, and. The reason is because I've been reading the same book forever. And so like normally I'm reading like multiple books at a time. I took a week off in April and I read like three books. um, One of which was the book I discussed in in episode 17, Women Were Dragons. But I actually have also had a print book that I've been reading for weeks. And the reason is because it's over 500 pages and it was a grown up book. Oh my goodness. Wow. Is yeah, everything so, okay? <laughs> What's wrong with Christy? She's reading grown-up books. So I read Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, which was published in 2017. And people may be hearing about it now because it's actually being made into an Apple TV series. Oh, interesting. I don't yeah, have I've not TV, heard of it. I have not watched it, but it did start last month or the month before. So people may be watching this, but it's it was a National Book Award finalist in that year. And it is an epic family drama. And it spans like almost 80 years um, in Japan. And it follows a Korean family. It starts just before the Japanese occupation of Korea. And then follows them as parts of the family end up moving to Japan and living in Osaka. And then during World War II and the Korean War and then post-wars all the way through 1989. Aside from saying all of that, it's kind of hard to to encapsulate it because there's so many characters, but because you were really thinking about this family, there's this arc of their generational lives. But I think the bigger focus really is on an immigrant family's experience and specifically how Koreans are treated in Japan, which I think is really interesting to look at with the understanding of how a lot of immigrant families are treated here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And while I've known certain aspects of that history and like the stories about Korean comfort women during World War II and the Korean War, I I still didn't know really about the treatment of Koreans in Japan. That even through the 1980s, it was almost impossible for Koreans to, to get citizenship in Japan. They're treated like complete other and that many... Koreans could actually pass as Japanese, that Mm -hmm. people ethnically speaking, looking, or at least like phenotype speaking, Mm -hmm. some people couldn't tell the difference, but language and culture were different. And Mm. so much so that Koreans were forgotten class or, you know, thought of as dirty and criminal and terrible, basically. The title of the book is Pachinko, which is actually a gambling game in Japan. That's very, very big. I actually had to look it up and and learn about it because I needed to know more. But the title is kind of a metaphor for the whole experience, but it also specifically refers to how the family ends up having Pachinko be part of their way of surviving. Because it was seen as a little seedy in you know the 40s and 50s, many of the people who were working in Pachinko parlors were Korean. And then became kind of part of the Japanese crime families. Like what's that? Oh, Mob yeah. families, the Yakuza. There's so many layers to the story and so many bits of information. I spent a lot of time Googling at like 11 o'clock at night <laughs> while I was reading. And, you know, it, 
it's super long and I, I don't tend to these days don't tend to read really long grown up books, but I loved it. And I actually felt like I was reading slower than usual, just so I had a chance to absorb it mm. um, and really like think about the story and specifically the women in the story, mm-hmm. um, because the women really are kind of the driving force of everything in, in this particular family. And it was phenomenal. So I, I highly recommend it if you have time and energy to read something big, or if you have Apple TV, go watch it. I right. am kind of considering if I can, should figure out how to how wow. connect with that so I can watch it. Do you not want to know my tip? Yeah. <laughs> this for all our listeners out there too. So if you don't already have it, download the Target app. And I think Ooh. it's under offers. There's a, a free trial to Apple TV. And I forget for how long it is. I had had a free trial through getting a new phone. Yeah. And that's how we watched Ted Lasso. But then I think for the second season... I made my husband get the Target app because it's the only show we watch on Apple TV. Well, so so my my challenge is that like I had a free trial. I never Mm -hmm. used it because it was a free trial for my phone and we'd watch TV through our Xbox. Mm -hmm. Not TV, like live TV, but like Netflix and and everything. And I don't know that Apple TV is an option. It might be, yeah. I mostly let like barriers just stop me from watching Ah. television because I I don't. Well, yeah, not a bad idea because there's so much. There's because actually yesterday I was talking to some people about another show that I'll I'll reference later, and I was like, I I can't watch that. They're like, you can watch it on your phone, and I was like, no, I can't. There's, in some ways, I sort of want no one to ever tell me about another TV show because <laughs> I could spend the rest of my life watching, oh, yeah. you know, based on recommendations. Oh, absolutely. But, and the uh, is that my husband and I will sit down to watch something. We're like, what do you want to watch? I don't know. There's like nothing. Oh, God. Like, yeah. Why? Why it's does that happen? terrible. Yeah. It's really bad. That's so funny. So what did you read? Well, actually, I've been reading a few things. I'm working on a, a project. So I was looking at project yeah well like in my my little freelance world i've been looking at a lot of picture books and so this one i wasn't planning to talk about on the podcast but then well i'll get to why i chose it but it's by jonathan van ness it's called peanut goes for the gold oh oh my gosh have you seen it oh i will tell you yes oh you have a story okay i have a related story okay interesting okay so jonathan van ness most people will know from queer eye the newer reboot if you watch that you'll know who jonathan is he's sort of like the grooming expert on the show but he also yes very luxurious hair he's also a podcast host and he does stand-up comedy he does gymnastics (laughs) he sort of like does anything, everything you want. And he's also written a couple of memoirs, which I haven't read, but I have to say he is my favorite of the Fab Five. At first I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure I had a favorite. I wasn't sure if it was him, but it's him. I just love yeah. him. So in this <laughs> book, which came out in 2020, Peanut is a guinea pig and their pronouns are they, them, which is just how the book refers to Peanut. It's not, yeah. it's not the story at all. It's not a part of the story. The story is about Peanut wanting to become a rhythmic gymnast which was a new term for me. <laughs> and and then Wait. and then doing it. What? That was new to you? Rhythmic gymnast? Oh. Yeah, I didn't know there were your different g- kinds your PE of class didn't have to do that in high God, school. God no. Yeah. Oh, well, there was just Sorry. gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> no rhythm to it at all. And if you ever see me dance, you'll that will make <laughs> a lot of sense. So, but yeah, so Peanut wants to be a rhythmic gymnast and and then does it. That that's the book. There's really no conflict. <laughs> 
They get help from their friends and family. They practice a lot. They enter a competition. They have a little almost fall because their shoe is untied, but they recover beautifully and they get a perfect score in this competition. So it's about perseverance and being yourself. There's one spread where it says something like, sometimes people think peanut is weird, but mostly their friends just wind up joining in the fun. And I just love that because I think it describes all the best people and relationships. So anyway, I'm like really loving on this book, but I wasn't like, oh, I definitely want to talk about this on the podcast. But then I saw this Amazon review and someone gave it three out of five stars entitled it goes for the bronze, which was like, ooh, ouch, like harsh. (laughs) And they wrote this uh, sort of abridged, but from a children's lit perspective, this isn't a story with, quote, teeth. As a professor who teaches early childhood language and literacy, this book leaves much to be desired in terms of storyline and character development. I would argue (laughs) that not every book for children has to have teeth. Mm. Um, And I wasn't really sure what they meant by that, like that it wasn't substantive maybe, or that there wasn't any like grit in the story. But I actually found that really refreshing (laughs) that the only conflict comes when Peanuts shoelaces are untied and even that doesn't turn into a catastrophe right we've we've seen that book a million times you know like and thank god like haven't we had enough trauma lately can we just have a book that's nice and it's not basic it's not like a basic boring book you know if you wanted to look at it from a literacy perspective there's great vocabulary in the book like choreography the word funky which maybe not all kids know, like just fun, playful words like juggle and hula hoop, tumble. Yeah, it's not maybe going to hit every mark for a children's lit class. I don't know. But there's nothing wrong with this book. It's a positive, charming story. It's got this awesome message about being yourself and going for your goals and and doing it and not having like this big traumatic experience. The illustrations are cute, it's funny. And then it gives you this exposure to using they, them pronouns, but just in this everyday, that's just what they are. As if it's not a big deal. It's just minor. The skinny pigs is they, them, which honestly for guinea pig makes a lot of sense anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, even if it wasn't written by one of my favorite Fab Fives, I would still really like this book. So that review um, reminds me of of this kind of ongoing argument discussion in the realm of kids learning to read. And, mm-hmm. you know, that kids who choose graphic novels aren't reading real books or mm-hmm. that they have to read books that are at their level, their level in quotes, mm-hmm. or higher. And it really irks me because when you think about an adult reading, like my reading habits, like, so sometimes I do read books that challenge me. Like I read Pachinko and I'm reading Mm -hmm. a book right now, A.S. King's new book, Switch, which is fabulous, but also I'm working really hard to understand it. Hmm. But then other times I just want some brain candy and that's fine. Right. (laughs) Totally fine. fine. And I remembered parents who weren't happy when their kid was picking nonfiction and they didn't consider that reading because they sort of bought into this idea that, yeah, that, that, only a fiction chapter book that had high literary merit that was reading. And 
I mean, reading at its most like basic is just reading the words, yeah, right? The words. And <laughs> and knowing how to do it. that. Yeah. So I think we get like kind of caught up in what exactly people are reading for for that purpose as opposed like I'm more worried about content when it's incorrect, right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. dangerous, you know, damaging, harmful, that kind of content bothers me. But otherwise, yeah, like we, as adults we're free to read what we want. Exactly. Um, and, kids. Yeah, and also you know, again, like not every book for kids or adults, teens has to have this big moral or, you know, be didactic. Like that's what we want to try to avoid. Yeah. I had a conversation with my 12 year old recently. I, I brought home a bunch of books for her and I was trying to encourage her to pick one to read. And she was like, well, I spent all day reading. I was reading fan fiction. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah you're right. And her fan fiction, she reads on YouTube. It's a video of text. Interesting. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's not how I would choose to read, but it's how she chooses to right. read. And that's totally fine. Right. And she gets what she needs from it, which is yep. again, what, what this is about. And actually that's a good segue for what you need. If you were looking for a book about gender identity for young children, or honestly, even some adults who have trouble with this yeah. concept, <laughs> whether it's willingly or not. In the same pile of books I had for this project, I also recently read It Feels Good to Be You. I and mean, that one came out in 2019, but really both of these were new to me, partly because I don't work in a library anymore. And this one's by Teresa Thorne and illustrated by Noah Grigny. It's really simply written, so it's easy to understand. And it is a book about gender identity. It's not a story okay. that weaves it in, yeah. right? It's, yeah. This is to help explain, but also just like normalizes the concept. And it really empowers children too, to let people know like their parents about their own gender identity. And like, it's okay when you're a kid, people, you know, sort of how they make assumptions. And then it's okay to tell people your gender identity, but also that you know, it is fluid, it just sort of covers all these topics that really fit into this like really complex category, but it's like perfect for yeah. younger children. Yeah. Kids get it a lot easier than adults <laughs> do because they typically haven't been exposed to so, right. so many of the social expectations and norms. I mean, I would see that all the time again in the library, like kids wearing clothing that wasn't you know, necessarily going along with the gender they were assigned. Mm -hmm. But for kids, they don't care. Or like boys want to wear nail polish and yep. it shouldn't matter. My son wore a tutu every day for like a year. Yeah, because tutus are fun. Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> like, had three of them. And so yeah. we just cycled through. <laughs> That's so those. cute. It was yeah. adorable. Yeah, and I think most people have given the chance would wear a tutu. But yeah, this one's great. So if you're looking for something like that, the illustrations are just lovely. I love the colors. It's like um, Wait, kind of- I see what you're doing. What? I snuck you're into cheating. books. <laughs> I cheated again. No, it's just a tip. <laughs> okay, but it's really beautiful. Like, look at the illustrations. There are like all these diverse characters. There's a character in a wheelchair, but again, it's all very thoughtful. You know, it's- all belongs it's not like a what i want to say like tokenism or yeah, you yeah. know it's just it's a really great book it's palette, yeah. yeah and then it's so before i forget and not to end this on a, a sad note but i the reason i had heard of the guinea pig that i'm now forgetting its name peanut peanut gosh wow, how could i forget peanut <laughs> is because in a recent a session with our youth services librarian, somebody mentioned that they had their very first challenge. Oh, and, and it was with that, that book. book because, because of the pronouns? The pronouns. They read it at story time about mm -hmm. the Olympics mm -hmm. and a parent said it was 
inappropriate for children. Interesting. Yeah, I find and that very sad, it's, actually. It's super sad. It was heartbreaking because, you know, the book was chosen for its themes about perseverance and right. sports and gymnastics, you know, like, and right. not... Well, and it's the parent platform about yeah. Gender. It's the parent that did that it's because the, the book. Issue. If you read the book, and I do encourage people to read it, and call me out if I'm wrong, but if you read the book, it is not about that at all. Yeah. Again, I would argue that a guinea pig it's should be re- yeah should it's be re- like it's not like social construct. <laughs> I mean, what, in this book, that, <laughs> exactly in this book, the guinea, guinea pig is wearing clothes. Own but, genders yeah. Exactly, that we haven't well, exactly. figured out yet. <laughs> But also, like Gender, in the uh, in the real body. world, yeah, you you wouldn't know by looking, so you would refer yes. to a guinea pig if you didn't know. You would say they them. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I think that's just really sad and ridiculous. And again, they're the ones that are kind of showing their true colors. And I'd really want to know how that challenge goes because I think you'd just be hard pressed to find like. Where is the agenda in this book? Right. There's not even an author's note that says, I chose to use they, them pronouns to say this, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? The We're author doesn't even, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan doesn't go by they, them pronouns. So it's not even saying like, this is how I identify. And right. so I want, I want this, you know, in my book or whatever. It's like being inclusive. Yeah. Which if no one can see my face, but I'm making like one of those disbelief. <laughs> faces at Christy, like, come on. And so uh, not to go on and on uh, about this topic, but I did find it interesting that because I wanted to find editorial reviews, you know, from journals, mm-hmm. I can't find it. I know I don't have 100% access because I don't work in a library, but like my go-tos where I usually can find reviews, I cannot find them for peanut goes for the gold, but I could for it feels good to be yourself. And that's and you know, 2020 wasn't that long ago. So you should be able to find them like even on Amazon sometimes have some quotes. Yeah. of Reviews. And also in the Minuteman catalog, you know, there's a section that says summary and reviews and there were none there, but yeah, New York times, but yeah, not not the public. So that worried me a little, it made me think a little of gatekeeping. And I wondered about that a little bit, but if other people know, I would definitely want to hear other thoughts. April, mm-hmm. how many books are in your to-be-read pile? <laughs> Infinity. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> then and now it's your turn. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, so like not not your theoretical, like actually in your house that you intend to read. Like, how many books do you have right now? Well, that's a hard one to answer because I kind of have books all over, and this is kind of funny. I'll share this with you so we could put it on our Instagram. But I took a picture from a book I was looking at as part of my minimalism kick. I checked out a book from the library about cleaning. That sounds so sad, but it's like one of those, you know, kind of to help you get this all organized and room to room or whatever. And some of it actually does kind of crack me up. Like, do people really need this kind of help? But Maybe they do. You never know. You never know. So one of the headings is how to organize a nightstand. But I really found this pretty offensive because it says remove everything and wipe the nightstand clean. All right. That's not offensive, but keep just the necessities on your nightstand. And then it lists a book or two. A book or two on the nightstand? <laughs> like the nightstand's like the main area 
of keeping a pile of books that you may or may not ever read. I just thought, like, what? Who is this? They don't know. They don't know that. But actually, on my nightstand, I have to say, I have one hardcover book, and then I have my Kindle, which has 30 unread books on it (laughs) that I could, you know, that I've bought or borrowed. So I would count that as 31... books on my nightstand and then I have one book that I'm currently reading in the living room and that's like really neat and tidy for me because usually there's piles around the living room I have a little pile in the kitchen it's like three or four books that I just got from the library the other day and then there are quite a few shelves that have you know books I've already read so we're not going to count those but there's Mm -hmm. quite a few shelves that have books that I haven't read that I own also oh yeah i don't own books i never want to read but as we know i might not get to this because yeah there's no deadline deadline. um but i have a couple piles of library books in this office space also oh i forgot about that bookshelf and also i wasn't sure if i should count my husband has his own bookshelf and there are books on there i want to read yeah and it's only it only like two shelves have books on them (laughs) (laughs) the rest are for storage but anyway he reads a lot of magazines but i wasn't sure if i should count his and then i have 70 books on my overdrive wish list so i don't know if that counted and then i have like but i only have one checked out and then nine on hoopla are checked out but a lot of those were how-to books so i just said like all reading counts as reading but what i count that is like a book i want to read like I don't really read cookbooks, so like I've got a ton of cookbooks, but well, I don't read them. Like I follow the recipe. Okay, I would say if I needed to read a book right now, I have at least a hundred I could choose from. Wow, I've given up on digital wish lists because I don't ever just kind of sit there. Yeah, yeah, like good when it was actually that's a good point. I put things on a wish on that my to read list and then I never went back to look at it and so they basically yeah. got lost yeah you um, know that's a good point because if I'm in the mood to read a book I'm not like oh I should go to Goodreads and look at my list yeah <laughs> maybe I should and delete it, it. Ooh, I, that's radical I, I have a note on my phone where I've put books that people have talked about mm-hmm. that I'm like oh I should remember that and then I put in parentheses like who recommended it and oh one, that's one, smart two, three four, five, six, seven, eight. That has eight on it. But actually physically in my house, I have, I just went to the library to pick up a book that was on hold and I came home with six. (laughs) That's Um, kind of what happened to me. Yeah. I have a total of 18 books checked out from the library right now. I have one on my Kindle and then I have two that I just brought home from a bookstore. So that's 21. Mm-hmm. But I I do have books on the shelves that I haven't read that I bought that I would read sometime, but yeah. I'm not necessarily including them in that list. I, I have the book that I'm reading right now that I started last night, and then I have a book for a book club. I'm in a book club. Oh, interesting. You know, it's so weird. Hmm. I'm feeling pressure, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> but I, I have that book checked out. I'm proud of it, you for trying. Thank you. I got home last night and I realized that the copy that I took home has a sticker on the side that says romance. And I'm like, oh man. Oh, no. <laughs> well, read it could now. Be fun. Yeah, it could be fun. I don't know. I was going to say, as a librarian, I don't own a lot of books. Like, I've been to fellow librarians' homes where, like, they're just filled with 
books that they own. And I'm always like, I don't need to own a lot of books, right? And we, as discussed, that's not going to help me read a book <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So I don't, I don't feel like, oh, I really need to own this. But it does turn out, yeah, that I do have a lot of books that I could read like at any moment. And I came across these TBR, to be read book challenges that people do for themselves. We had previously talked about one of our questions was how do you decide what to read? And like, Mm -hmm. it's really like, for me, it's like a whim, right? And even this makes me think I should just delete my Goodreads, like you said, the to read list, because I just kind of like, I feel like reading something. And usually it's like something a friend recommended or hold comes up. And that's kind of what I go for. But I came across these amazing readers who make like games and challenges for themselves. And I've actually never met anyone who does this. I'd never heard of this before. All those years working in a library, like how did I not know about this? So they do it for the books that they already have on their Yeah, list? yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they could probably find a library book as well. Yeah. So the first one I came across was based off of Cards Against Humanity uh, um, or yeah. also kind of an apples to apples yeah, kind of yeah. like card game. So. And I'm going to link to this in the show notes because they provided the PDF of their game. So if other people want to print that out and play it, like the first card you pull would be the question card. But in her game, it's like a genre or the age range or some sort of prompt. So it might say YA book. And then she pulls two of the answer cards and they're sort of more like an action. So like one example is matches my outfit (laughs) or the last book I bought. So it'd be like the last YA book book. you bought. That's what you're going to read next. Or one was starts with one of my initials. So she would pick two so she could take out one. If she couldn't find a YA book that matched her outfit, then she could go with the other. But like one person made a bookopoly board. So I'll link to that. That's on YouTube. But also people like repurpose their game of life for reading. (laughs) I saw Candyland. I also saw Spin the Bottle video but this one was oh and do you put the books in a circle well yeah she had she had like a big circle i don't know if it's cut out of wood or paper and it was divided into like pie shape and Mm. then she had some symbols but what she did that i thought could be interesting for us was she had her patreon supporters send in categories and then she had cut those out and placed them on the board so then she spins the bottle and she has to read whatever it says on the paper Ooh, that so would be fun. yeah all right listeners and then, and then we'd have a each have the same category yeah. but see what books we picked. yeah yeah Ooh. so listeners tell us if you want that but yeah i just thought it was like super fun and i was like you know that would be a fun challenge to try but also for myself but also it could be good for groups like a book group Or, you know, if our listeners do their own podcast or book review videos or whatever. And so I'll provide those links because I thought that was really creative. I'm impressed by the amount of research you did into this. Thank you. I didn't. (laughs) That I didn't even do for this question. I just happened to come across it because I was actually looking up ways of doing like book tracking in a journal because I have a journal that I'm supposed to practice with for my part-time job. Like, oh, have fun with this. I know that people do a lot of reading tracking, but these creative layouts are so cool. It really inspires me. I'll have to ask if we can get a picture of it, but Emily Schwab, who was a guest in the fall Mm -hmm. on the podcast, she keeps a a journal 
of her reading and then does percentages over the month. And she keeps track of like, doing oh, finishes cool. and, other yeah. things. and it's really cool. And I, every time I've seen a picture of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I had the brain to be able to do that because yeah. I'd love to have that kind of data. Yeah. I'm just very simple because I do use Goodreads for that. And I don't even rate them anymore. (laughs) What's it called? Storygraph. It's a a website and it's not owned by Amazon. So I was happy about that. (laughs) I think it's black owned um, business Mm -hmm. organization. Oh, good to know. And I list my books and I do give them ratings, but you can also put in kind of appeal factors Mm -hmm. and like the um, pacing of the plot and whether it's character driven or plot driven. But then what is really great is that you have reading stats. You get like these pie charts. This is like moods um, Mm and telling me what kind of moods I've been reading. And then the pace of the book, this one, it's like most of the books I read have medium pace and then one on page numbers. That's interesting. Fiction, nonfiction, genres, format, and then most read authors. And then they also do a a graph that's number of pages and number of books you read. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's like really great for my data nerd brain. And for our listeners, if you have a way that you track reading or a challenge that you do for yourselves or for your patrons, we'd love to know. So email us at this pod is overdue at gmail.com. Christy, what have you been learning lately? I have been learning about government and specifically local government. Over the last few years, I have gotten involved in my own local town government, and it has necessitated learning how town governments work. For those of you who are not in Massachusetts, or even if you are in Massachusetts, there are different types of government structures here. I am an elected official in my town. I'm a library trustee, but I also work for the town clerk's office. I work the elections. And so every time there's an election in town, which we have three a year, we have a spring election, which is just for town officials, officials, town positions, positions, that's the word. Saturday mornings might not be good vocabulary. Based <laughs> um, and then uh, September is if there's a state questions or it's the, the primary um, election for a large national election. And then in November, which most people is when they think about elections, they only really think about the November election here in the United States. And it's the first Tuesday in November. And so we have that too. So on those days, I now take a day off from my full-time job and I go to our town's high school and I'm there from 6.30 AM to 8.30 PM. Wow. Yeah. Working the election. I started in 2020 because I realized it's something I always wanted to do, but I realized in 2020 that all of the people who generally work the elections, which are predominantly retired people because mm-hmm. they have the time go because right. of the pandemic and because of uh, coronavirus. So they were really short number of people they needed to run an election. And so I decided to do it. And in two years time, I've been promoted and <laughs> I now co-run one of the precincts when we're voting. And I feel like I learn every single time, like there's mm-hmm. always something new that I'm learning. Like this time I learned about write-in votes because our town redistricted based on the 2020 census. Mm-hmm. And it meant that all of our town meeting positions were up for everybody had to rerun okay. even if they had been elected last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a hotly contested race. There were a lot of people running, a lot of people on the ballot, and there were a lot of write-in votes. And so learning how that all gets managed and counted and and then what happens if there's a tie 
Mm. Was it because the precinct that I was counting the, the write-in votes for had a tie? Oh, so, really? Wow. Yeah. So what does happen? So in our town, and I think in towns that have representative town meetings, so town <laughs> meeting is when basically everybody goes and votes on things. So <laughs> instead of having a city council that makes decisions, you have a <laughs> town meeting. In some towns in Massachusetts, that means every registered voter can go to town meeting and vote. Those usually take hours. We have a representative town meeting, which means each precinct, each grouping in town elects representatives to town meeting. And so when there's a tie, it's called a failure to elect. And then the town meeting members who were fully elected, then caucus, which I think is the weirdest, funniest word, they, they get together right before the town meeting and they decide who's going to be joining them as a town meeting member. Hmm. So say for the particular precinct I worked, there were 17 people on the ballot and there were 18 positions. And so there was a write-in runoff for that 18th position and it was a tie. So on the day of town meeting, the 17 people who were elected will get together and decide, discuss and vote who will be the 18th member. Interesting. Right? Like this is stuff I'm having to learn it as I go because it is so different from where I grew up. I grew up in a, I I call it a small town because it's smaller than the town I live in now, but it was a city government, Mm -hmm. city structure. So there was a mayor and a city council and we are part of a county government system. So there was a county administrator and county board that were elected and, and then up through the state board and it, and it. It's so completely different from here. I mean, like most people in Massachusetts don't even know what county they live in. Right. And yeah. We don't do anything really by county. Yeah, and so much of where I grew up was county-based. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that came up around this election were grownups who were saying, I have no idea how my government is run. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of this. Sure. Stuff. Yeah. Why didn't I learn it in school? Right. And so, you know, I, I think that there's we an, a need mm-hmm. for people to learn how it works yeah we didn't learn I don't remember that specifically where I grew up it was more at the federal level you know mm-hmm. it was right when, about in school, we learned yeah about federal government and how yeah. a bill is passed and all that stuff. right but, but really like that phrase all politics is local is mm-hmm. so true mm-hmm. like the stuff that really impacts your daily life is being right. decided at the local level right And most of us don't know how it works. Mm -hmm. This is my call to action for everybody is find out if your community has some sort of program. Ours does. It's called Citizens Academy. And you you learn all about how your local government runs. And so find out if there's something like that. And if there isn't, go make an appointment with your city clerk or your town clerk or your town manager and and ask because it's really important. I think that's awesome. I'm totally going to do that. It's really interesting. Election day is one of my favorite days of the year because I really like being at the polling place mm-hmm. and seeing people right. and talking to people and right. and helping them vote. Mine's totally frivolous <laughs> <laughs> compared to yours, but that's okay. Media landscape here. We're covering all, totally relevant. Uh, all things. So we've been watching Moon Knight on <gasps> Disney+. Plus. Yes. Have you seen it? I watched the first episode. Yeah, I love it. I've I really, it yeah. <laughs> I've really liked it. I think it's really interesting. Well, I love Oscar Isaac. So yes. he's the main yeah, character. Yeah. And it's just, to me, it's not a traditional superhero story at all. It's not even like a hero story, really. It's really complex and it deals with 
mental health issues, namely dissociative identity disorder, which I think Oscar Isaac just does really well from what I understand. You really do see the different personalities that he displays, but also how there's a similar thread right there. He doesn't take it to this extreme, you know, they're, they're all connected. It's one person with a disorder, but it's also really funny. And, and I love like all the other actors and, but that's not what I'm learning. It's not about that. It's just inspired me because there's Egyptian mythology as part of the story. Uh, He, yeah, this character is the avatar for an Egyptian God, Khonshu, who I'd never heard of before. But I also realized, like, I don't really know anything about Egyptian mythology because when I was growing up, it was all about Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And we even had in sixth grade this big project we had to do. And you had to be a Greek god or goddess and do a presentation. And you had to, I was about to swear, but I'll keep it clean for the podcast, but you had to wear a freaking toga that you had to make. So this actually, this whole experience is a, not a good one for me, Greek mythology. <laughs> Oh, I never got into those Rick Riordan books. I really could leave Greek mythology behind forever. But Egyptian mythology, pretty interesting. And so, yeah, because of the show, I'm sort of like, oh, I want to learn more. Like how much of this is based on actual mythology, you know, or or the, you know, stories from ancient Egypt and how much of it is, you know, comic stuff. I'm going to just read this from the Nerdist website because I thought they summed it up really well and I wouldn't be able to, but it says, Khonshu is not a member of the main Anid, which is an Egyptian mythology, like a group of nine gods and goddesses. It says he is a member of Marvel Comics version of the grouping of gods. As a god of the Anid, Khonshu has superhuman strength, durability, healing, and magical powers. In the comics, Khonshu is also Ra's son, the two have an epic rivalry. So it's sort of like sun and moon. And they use these avatars to be on earth. So they're they're mortals. They can't be on earth. So Ra's champions are known as sun kings and Khonshu's champions are moon knights. So I didn't really know that either. And so that's why the show, yeah, that's why the comic is called that and the show is called that. And so I've been diving into books about Egyptian mythology and I just like the stories. I like how you can find those similarities with other cultures because they all have mm-hmm. kind of similar gods and goddesses and origin stories and stuff like that. So I think in the series, and I haven't read the comics, but from what I do get from it, that the Egyptian gods and goddesses are a little bit reimagined and mm-hmm. not all of them make appearances in the series, but I've been just kind of figuring out like who matches with who. So sometimes they're called something else. And sometimes it's like a Greek word. It's like really interesting how it all gets mashed up. And also because a lot of it comes from hieroglyphs and those right sort of, yeah, different interpretations and they change over time kind of makes it all messy. But I like that, like, because I think that's really interesting. So yeah, I really like kids books about (laughs) mythology. Yeah. One of the ones I'm looking at is actually on Hoopla. And I mentioned that because there's no limits on that. So anyone can go and find these books if you have Hoopla, but also you can find the print version. But Donna Jo Napoli has a series through National Geographic Kids. It's called The Treasury of Egyptian Mythology, but there's one on like North, North, Norse mythology. And uh, and there's probably others too. But yeah, it's just really fascinating and interesting. And I like her writing of it a lot. Very cool. 
Yeah, it's just kind of fun. And now that the series is over, and I really did like it, I can extend it a little by mm-hmm. <laughs> reading my kids' books about myths. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Thanks for sharing. Thanks. So April, do you want to tell me what you love? Sure. Well, I've had this love for a while, but today's the day I decided to share it with the world. <laughs> Lo-Fi Girl. Do you know Lo-Fi Girl? I don't. Okay. I often wonder, like, what do other people see on their YouTube channel? Like, doesn't everybody get this showing up in their feed? <laughs> I don't I don't look at, I actually, like, actively ignore the recommended videos. I don't know where this came from, to be honest. This might have been when our niece lived with us. Mm. And somehow it got onto my algorithm or whatever. I'm not really sure. But lo-fi music, it's lo-fi hip-hop music. Oh, cool. I don't know how to explain it, but there are no vocals. It's really like, to me, it's like very ethereal, right? It's music that is often recommended for like studying or like just kind of chilling out, sleeping, trying to get work done or something like that. And I just really love it. And Lo-Fi Girl is actually streaming on YouTube. You can find channels on like Spotify, but if you pop on YouTube and you go to the channel, it's just continuously streaming this music. And it has a little animation, kind of like anime style girl who's studying, she's got headphones on. And there's an orange cat somewhere, usually looking out the window and its little tail is swishing. And it changes up. So like if it's winter, there might be snow outside. And I think there are a couple other channels. So there's one where she's hanging out in bed. That's for the snoozy music. But yeah, it's kind of like just the epitome of chill music. And at one point I did look up the history of it because I had this thought, my total nerd thought was like, is this music copyrighted? Like, how do they just yeah. stream? How do they just stream music forever? And I did find it's, it's a lot of original content or given uh, permission by the artist, which is probably really good for them. Yeah. They do put up like what the song is in the artist. So they give credit. But I also learned they have a Wikipedia page. So if you want to learn all the history, you can go there. But at one point there was an original channel with a different name and it got taken down. Um, not sure why, but that live stream was 13,000 hours long up to that point. It was one of the longest videos on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, it's not wild. I I really like to listen while I'm getting work done because again, without the vocals, it's just very soothing, but it's not, sometimes classical isn't good for me when I'm working because classical music can have a lot of mood to it, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and all of a sudden, yeah, you can get like ups and downs and this is like pretty like i don't know i can only just say the word chill it's so chill but yeah on april fool's day they did a switch up that i just thought was so cute and wholesome prank where they put the cat in the headphones studying uh, and the the girl was sitting in the window and i just thought that was very cute so there's like a sense of humor there too which i appreciate so who makes the aunt the art There's a whole story about that too. They did a contest and I think it's a Brazilian artist. So they had done a contest because at one point they were using artwork from, who's the guy that does like Totoro? Oh, Um, Studio Ghibli? Yeah. So they couldn't use that. So they did a contest for someone to do something in that vibe. But I just wanted to share because it's like really lifts my spirits. It helps me relax. I probably put it on once a day yeah 
Huh. So cool. Yeah, I've never, it's... yeah, never. I have a whole uh, Spotify playlist that I created mm-hmm. that I originally called it instrumental for napping, mm-hmm. but realized that I can't nap to music. My brain likes mm-hmm. it too much and I don't fall asleep. So I use it when I'm working. Mm-hmm. Like I can't do spreadsheets without music. Yeah. Yeah. There's certain work I need to listen to something, but it's, it is very specific too, because I can get distracted yeah. by the music. There can't be words. What about you? What, uh, do you like? what I wrote down is collective people, but I'm going to have to explain that a little yes, bit. Yes, please. Yes. I don't so, know what that means. So last night I went to a protest for women's reproductive rights. So we are recording this early May and there was a released document from the Supreme Court that implied that Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned. And so I went to a protest last night for that. We thought, those of us who went in our small group, thought it was just going to be standing and chanting and with our signs. But then it turned out to be a march Mm -hmm. around Boston. And there were volunteers that shut down, like stood in front of traffic so that the march could go by. And we ended up marching down Newbury Street, which is this Mm -hmm. like really famous shopping district, lots Mm -hmm. of restaurants and and shops. And there were people standing on the side of the street watching us. As we were marching down the street, this woman was filming us and crying. And I realized that like us, this group of people, this large group of people brought up an emotional response in her for whatever reason. And I was thinking about how like, I tend to have like these emotional reactions when large groups of people, collective people, you know, Mm -hmm. get together in a place to do a thing and how that is such a a very human thing. You know, people coming together at protests or coming together for a flash mob or like big drum corps or dance numbers, like all of those things. Like I get this like inside, like feeling fluttery, like, oh my (laughs) God, I'm going to cry. And, and I realized that's love. Like I love this scene people come together and, you know, either to like make change or to, to make people happy or to make people have a reaction of some sort and how incredibly amazing it is, you know, and that it grows. Cause like last night we had, it was a fairly large group of people. We were in front of Boston public library. And then as we were marching, the friends that I was with, we were at the end of the the, the march, the group of people. And by the time we got back to the library, we weren't at the end anymore. There were That's more amazing. people behind yeah. us. People who, who joined signs. in. Yes. And who had these signs that you can tell they just like scribbled then mm-hmm. and ran to catch up. And that ability to, to create and grow from one person's idea. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's definitely a negative side of that. People talk about mob mentality and stuff, but there's so many beautiful things that come from it. So as I was preparing, thinking about what I would talk about for this episode, I was watching flash mobs and <laughs> I started crying, like straight up crying. This is a thing that has <laughs> happened to me for years. Like this one particular one that I was watching was filmed in Germany. It was in a mall and they did a mashup of We Will Rock You and some song I didn't know. And there was a drum corps that was part of it. And <laughs> And all the people started clapping, even the people who weren't involved. And that like, oh, (laughs) I just get so filled with emotion for it. And and it also fills me with hope. I -hmm. think that's part of it too. It's like, even when things seem crappy, that like this Mm -hmm. group of people coming together have the potential to make change. Right. Yeah. Well, and you're not alone. Exactly. In good times or bad, that there are people out there that feel the same way or want the same things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's really cool. 
Yeah. So I'm probably going to spend some significant time watching flash mob videos. (laughs) Making yourself cry. (laughs) It's actually a thing that I've missed, you Mm -hmm. know, with the pandemic and people not coming together and crowds that, that, you know, and, and like kind of the same type of thing if you go to live music and everybody's mm-hmm. singing along. That's what I was just thinking of, like that energy yeah, and that it does have an impact. And it did make me think of one of my favorite shows recently where what made it so great was the crowd. Like yeah. everyone was there just to have fun, you know, people singing along, people chatting with each other in like a really fun, nice way, mm-hmm. not not a tiring way or like a you know, kind of like yeah. get away from me <laughs> way, but just like, we're all here for the same purpose. Yeah. We're all here for a positive thing, like whether it's to have a good time or to make change or to have our voices heard all these like really good altruistic reasons or like positive reasons as opposed to like the negative, which could be mob mentality. But, yeah. but like in the cases you're talking about, they're for like loving to make reasons. Happy. Yeah. Or to protect or to protect help people. other yeah, people exactly yeah right? or and yourself well but i i mean it actually like yeah i've showed up to protest where i'm not the person mm-hmm. that's being helped there's that line between like what's selfish and what's altruistic and you know showing up to a protest as a white woman for black lives matter is that selfish or altruistic it's a little both but it's really that community impact that that large group mm-hmm. of people coming together for a single cause that yep. like, really just fills me with all the feels Absolutely. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I think that's a great note to end on. Okay. Yeah, so good to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you all for yeah. listening. Please do subscribe. Subscribing helps other people know that we exist. Share us with your friends and family, anybody you think might want to listen to two people talk about media (laughs) yeah well let us know what you think about some of the things we've talked about and we um really would love your questions too for our ask us anything segment email us at this pod is overdue at gmail.com or find us on all our different platforms from pod page to instagram happy reading bye everyone thanks for listening to this podcast is overdue with christy and april bye everyone happy reading our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. Um, is this any better, Christy? Are you sound okay? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. <laughs>